Well, good morning, and welcome to Journey, and uh, I want to thank Nikki. Uh, we love having Nikki around, and uh, we just, we get a blessing from the Christian school and the teachers. She's one of those awesome teachers. We get a chance to see each day, but in the summertime, uh, it kind of turns into a fun play, more fun than through the school year, and she does an awesome job, and we're so grateful for um, uh, her serving and leading our camp in this way. Guys, uh, welcome today. Uh, my name is Randy. If you are a guest here, it's, it's so good to have you with us today. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be out and worshiping, and uh, you're going to have a great afternoon, I'm confident. And, uh, but right now, we're going to jump into our time together. We've been, uh, we're now in the second week of this series called uh, The Last, the Seven, uh, Last Words. We've been looking at last words, and I was thinking I want to clarify what the last words might be like. These are not like the redneck last words. You know the redneck last words, right? Redneck's la- last words are like, hey, watch this. You know, or uh, the other one might be, hey, hold my beer. You know, that, those, are, those are redneck last words. We're not talking about those kind of last words, all right? We're not talking about the last words even of a man like Elvis Presley who said uh, his last words, recorded words were, I'm going to the bathroom to read. Not, not so honorable words, right? How about uh, basketball great Pete Maravich who said, I feel great. And that was right before he collapsed at a pickup game and died. Or Steve Jobs, who was the founder of Apple and an atheist, who his last words as he was dying, he said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. I wonder what he saw. We're not talking about those kind of words, though, even those that may, may impress us. We're talking about important words, the last words of Jesus Christ, words that were powerful, profound, unexpected. And last week, we looked at the first two statements that Jesus made on the cross. Uh, the first one was, Father... Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he spoke that to his father as a prayer of forgiveness for those who were crucifying him. And the the second set of words were to a believing thief beside him said, "I, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I think it's so powerful to think that while Jesus was literally saying these words, he was actively dying to forgive us and to pay the price not only for the sins of those who are around him, but also for the sins of the whole world, including you and I today. That is so powerful to think about, the last words of Jesus on the cross. Well, today we're going to take the next step. We're going to look at the next two things that Jesus said while he was dying. And the first was said to his earthly mother, Mary, and the second was said to his heavenly father, God. See, the Bible says that as Jesus was on the cross, there were a lot of people around him. Some he did not know, no doubt, people who had just come to to be a part of the mob, those who had accused him were there, but also there were those who loved him as well. And some of them were the people who followed him, even including women. John chapter 19 says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, there's a lot of Marys in that, to be honest with you. Mary was a very popular day, a name in that day, obviously. Uh, So there was Mary, his mother, uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, uh, and other women were no doubt were standing there as well. Jesus' mother had traveled with him throughout a part of his ministry. We don't know how much she did go. There was a time when she was doubtful and uncertain of who he was, but when she figured out who he was, for sure, she traveled with him, and now she was with him in his death. She was with him at that most difficult point in his life. And couldn't you imagine the horror of a mother seeing her son hanging naked, bloody, beaten nearly to death on a cross? Can you imagine what was going through the mind of Mary? 
You know, Mary had been through a lot with Jesus. We all know the Christmas story, right? Where this young virgin, Mary, had been told by the Holy Spirit that she would conceive and have a child and would be the Son of God, the Messiah of all the people. And even though she knew that this was an exceptional child, no way could she have imagined it would lead her to this point in his life, 30 years, 33 years later or so, and that this day might ever come. She had watched Jesus grow up. She had seen him become a man. She had seen him do amazing things, probably had seen him enter Jerusalem less than a week before, recognized as a king, thinking to herself, finally, they know who my son is. He's the king. He's the Messiah. But the last 12 hours had been agonizing for her. They'd been agonizing. She had believed in Jesus, but seemingly her other children did not believe who Jesus claimed to be. It wasn't until later that some of them, including James, brother of Jesus, became a believer. Perhaps all of them did. We don't know. But since she was somewhat alone at this point in following Jesus, her husband Joseph was dead. Tradition says that Joseph was probably much older than Mary, and that he is, um, the last time he's mentioned in the Bible is when Jesus was 12-year-old and lost in the temple. Historians suggest that Joseph may have died sometime in Jesus' teen years and that Jesus had to take over as the oldest son to be the leader of the family. That would also explain why he was a carpenter until about the age of 30. But throughout most of his life, Jesus took care of his mother. He took care of her well-being, her protection. He was the one who provided. And now he was dying, and she was standing near the cross, and his thoughts went to her care. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? John chapter 19 goes on to say, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, who is this disciple that Jesus is talking to? The one who is described as the one that Jesus loved. That disciple is John, who is the author of this gospel that we're reading from. John didn't say, Jesus said to me, he said, Jesus said to the disciple whom he loved, because everyone knew that Jesus and John had a very special bond. Some people say that Mary and John's mother, Salome, were sisters, making Jesus and John perhaps even cousins. Now, by the way, this isn't John the Baptist either. John was a very popular name either. Sometimes we get confused about names, don't we? This wasn't John the Baptist. This was John the Apostle and the one who wrote the book, the Gospel of John, and the three epistles of John a little bit later on. So this John, whether he was a cousin or not, it was a very close friend. And because of their relationship, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he was loved by Jesus, and some say younger than many of the others as well. John also seems to be the only disciple who's there at the cross. Most of the others had either run away during the arrest, the trial, sometime in between, and John seems to be the only one at least who is recognized at the cross. But what I want you to think about here a few moments are the actual words that Jesus spoke and their significance today. Because in the midst of all of his suffering and all of his agony, all he was going through, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the care of his mother. He was thinking about her needs and, and what was going on, seeing her pain and her tears. He was concerned about her future and about her old age which tells us how deeply he cared for her about human relationships, but also how deep the responsibility should run for us as well. Amen. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Now, that can be tough sometimes, can't it be? Someone said that most of us go through four stages with our parents. 
First of all, we idolize our parents. Remember when you were small and you looked up your parents and you thought they could do no wrong. They were perfect in your eyes. And then comes adolescence. When you tend to demonize your parents, you look at your parents, whereas they once could do no wrong, now they can do no right. They are the source of all your misery, your discomfort, your pain in life, your parents. And then you grow up a little bit, and then you begin to utilize your parents. You utilize your parents, you use your parents, you want them to pay for what you want. You start to figure out, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just not working, I want to use them, and help you get launched into the world. Now here's the point, some kids never get past this point. Right? Sounds like mostly parents responding in that way, you know. Some kids never get past this point, and unfortunately, some parents let them get away with it. So a message to you, if you are an adult child, grow up and cut off your parents, and if you are a parent, let them grow up and cut them off. You know, it's, uh, it's not healthy either way, all right? We utilize them. The fourth stage, though, is that we humanize them. This is where we recognize, you know what, our parents... We see them as we see ourselves. They have good points and bad points. They have strengths and weaknesses. We got to love them as they are. And I want to tell you, I think sometimes that one of the most difficult things to do for a child is to honestly acknowledge our parents' faults and love and honor them anyway. But you know what? The call to honor our parents is not qualified. It has nothing to do with whether our parents are honorable or not or if they deserve the honor. It says to honor them. And, you know, even as I say that, I, I want to be sensitive because I know this can be a very painful subject for, for many people. Because just like kids have been a source of, par- of pain for their parents, sometimes parents can be a source of pain for their children, realistically. I know that is true. Some of that are perhaps exaggerated, perceived. Some of them are very real. But no matter what, the hurt is genuine and it goes deep. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been through some of that. And if you were dying, your parents would not be on your mind. You would not be worried about them because they brought you a lot of pain in life. So how do you learn to honor your parents and the other people in your life that have hurt you? Family, friends, whoever it may be. Let me just say briefly that you need to identify that. You need to acknowledge that. You need to own that. You need to grieve over that because that's a real source of pain and sadness in your life. And then you need to learn to deal with it. And I don't mean that harshly. I would suggest to you, if that's a big issue in your life, get some Christian counseling about that. You know, I'm really big on Christian counseling. Not a great counselor myself, I acknowledge that. But I'm really big on that. I've seen a few myself. I don't think there's any shame in getting a little bit of help. I mean, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. If you need financial advice, you go to a planner. You know, if you need to get in shape physically, you hire a trainer. So when it comes to the deepest issues of life, the things that are most painful to you, why not get somebody trained to help you out? But make sure, I believe it's a Christian counselor, so that they can help you correctly obey what the Bible says about honoring parents. The Bible's clear about that. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith is worse than an unbeliever. See, in that day, they had specific problems in caring for older people is that there was no welfare, there was no pension, there was no retirement. And if, if the family didn't step up and care, then those people would be homeless, beggars, perhaps would die in poverty. And so Christians were taught, you know, you need to care for your family. I mean, now things are different now, but that doesn't mean that we can just release them. We have an obligation and responsibility 
to help and honor our parents. You know, I look at Jesus' family, and he lived this out, you know. His earthly family was far from perfect. In fact, it was pretty dysfunctional. He had a stepfather. He had a single mother who raised him throughout up to his, uh, in his teen years. He had siblings who thought he was crazy. There were even times that Mary thought he had lost it. She and her other kids came to collect him one day. They thought he had lost his mind. But you know what? Jesus honored her and respected his mother, and he made sure that she would be cared for whenever he was gone. And we need his example today in a world that increasingly disregards the elderly, minimizes them, abandons them. We need to, we need to keep them special. Well, those are the words to his mother. But then Jesus also had words to his heavenly father. And these are the words that I really want us to focus on this morning. And I want you to remember that Jesus has spent much of the night before before his arrest and crucifixion, in prayer with his heavenly father. And one of the things that he asked his father, would, would this, that this whole experience of suffering and dying could be avoided. Because he knew, he did, I don't know if he knew everything, but he knew the pain that would come. His human nature cried out for survival, for relief, for avoiding this, even as his spiritual nature knew that he had to suffer and die. Now understand too, in this relationship, that Jesus was both flesh and divine. He was God and man, both. And his humanity cried out for relief, but the God in him knew that this had to happen. And through his God relationship with his father, Jesus had always been so closely connected. In fact, they were and they are one and inseparable. But you know what? Jesus' word to his father are a little bit surprising and kind of expected here. In fact, these words to his father while on the cross do not reflect any intimacy or any uh, love or anything, just abandonment. Listen to the words that, that we see in Mark chapter 15. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So there were three hours of darkness. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lamei, Sabathia which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken here literally means abandoned. God, why have you abandoned me? Now, why did Jesus feel abandoned on the cross? You might say, well, this seems to be, you know, something very unloving by God. I mean, here, Jesus was having to die, and God leaves him while he's on the cross, the worst moment. Why does that have to happen? Why is that true? You know, Jesus knew this was coming. His whole ministry was kind of leading up on this climax of, of his entire time on the earth. So we have to understand kind of what's going on here. And that kind of leads us to one of the major teachings in the Bible, and that is about the Trinity. There's only one God, but he is three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, all equal and all one. In fact, we see this whenever we baptize someone into the Christian faith. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that trinity, that oneness is seen there and many other places. And it really is hard for us to understand. I don't think any of us totally understand it completely, wrap our heads around it. But you know what? For some people would say, because I don't understand it, I don't believe it. But you know what? I think it's a good thing that we don't understand everything about God. I think that's a positive thing. Don't let your lack of understanding keep you from believing. There are a lot of things I don't understand how they work, but I believe in them anyway. And I don't really want a God who's as simple as I am, because I can be pretty simple sometimes. I want a God who is bigger 
than me. I want a God who, who is bigger than my intellect, beyond my understanding, and beyond my comprehension. I want a big God to worship. Because if I totally understand God, he's pretty small and puny, and I might as well be worshiping myself. There ought to be some mystery that strikes awe and wonder in us about God, and the Trinity is one of those things. The Trinity tells us a lot about God the Father, a lot about the Son, and a lot about the Holy Spirit, the God who is in each of us. But the Trinity also shows us something else about God, that God is community. And that being made in the image of God, we need community with one another as well. We need those connections that are spiritual connections, friendships, relationships, that we love people as much as we love family. Because we are family, the family of God. Not only is God Trinity, but God is also holy. God is also holy. The word holy means to be without sin. It means to be perfect and pure. But there's more to it even than that because being holy also means to be set apart, to be wholly different. The Bible says that when we come out and give our life to Christ, we are being sanctified. We are being made holy, being made more like Jesus Christ. And so holy is the opposite of human. Human is sin. God is holy. As a result of that, God can't tolerate sin. God can't touch sin. He can't be around it. And here's where the deep truth comes about what happened that day and why Jesus was abandoned. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, he literally took on the sin of the world. They were loaded upon him. He bore our sins. It was the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus. It was worse than the mockery of, of, of the, the people in, at his trial. It was worse than the beating. We talked about that last week. It was worse than the thorns pressed into his head. It was worse than the nails in his hands and his feet. It was worse than pain and suffering and the suffocation on the cross. Because the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin and he died to pay for it and remove it and its punishment from us. In fact, Jesus took away all the sin from all humanity upon himself. He took away every murder, every rape, every lie, every act of child abuse, every act of betrayal, every adulterous relationship, every evil act of terrorism, every school shooting, the Nazi Holocaust, the brutality of ISIS. Oh, and by the way, throw your and my sins on there as well because we're just like them. He took everything on himself. He bore them for us. The sins of the past before him, the present, the people standing around him, and the future, including you and I, were laid on his shoulders, so much so that he literally became sin. And because of the Father's holiness, remember that, he could not contact him, and he turned his face away. Guys, I want you to think about what that implies that the Trinity of God that had always existed, that was so important, so precious, was broken for me and you. And Jesus was totally alone in that moment, the time of darkness. And in that aloneness, he would die. And that's what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross for us and to bear our sin. But here, you know, this is really interesting. I want to get back to what Jesus said to his father because I never thought a lot about these words until I was studying them, and I, I didn't really know where the words came from. Because the words that Jesus spoke, you know, he's talking about, God, why you abandoned me? But there's not really any anger there. There is no resentment. There's no accusation. There's only acknowledgement. God, why have you 
forsaken me. But I want you to think about those words because we can take them wrong. In reality, these were words of love and loyalty, allegiance, and trust. Now you say, now where do you get that at? Because that's not what it sounds like. Let me tell you where I get that at. You probably didn't know this. These words came from the Old Testament. They came from Psalms 22. The first verse in Psalms 22 is what Jesus quoted. Now, why didn't he quote the entire chapter? Obviously, his strength was limited on the cross, right? So we're going to finish the chapter, and I'm going to show you what Jesus was implying, what was on his heart at the time. Keep in mind, these words had been written, inspired by, by David, uh, hundreds of years before. This is what Psalms 22 says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. The same tone, right? But here the tone changes. And yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and we were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. The words of the thief, the unbelieving thief on the cross, right? Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Keep in mind the beating that Jesus endured. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Later, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. The dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet, the nails that were driven into the cross. All my bones are on display, the scourging that, that exposed the bones of Jesus and the whipping. People glare and stare and gloat over me, the mocking crowd around them. They, cast my, they divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots from my garment, the soldiers who gambled and split the, 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 the clothes of Jesus. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs." Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Jesus said, victory is coming on the third day, right? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations." And all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Think 2018, all right? Those who cannot keep themselves alive, prosperity will serve them. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Isn't that amazing? And all we can say today is, yes, he has. Yes, he has. He was broken, and he was beaten, and he was crucified for you and I. He was abandoned so that we could be embraced. 
He suffered so that we could rejoice. He died so that we could live. He has done it all. Indeed, he has. He is our Lord. And it, he demands everything that we have today. This morning, we're going to wrap up our time with a prayer, but I just want to challenge you to think about the love that Christ has for you. If you're a believer this, here this morning, and I know many of us are, will you just be grateful for Jesus, for what he has done, that he took it all for, for you and I? And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come. Let's have a conversation about that, what it means, and how you too can have this amazing hope that just like Jesus, we know that, that death is coming. We know we suffer now, but one day life comes and it will be great and fresh and new for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these words. God, I'm so grateful for Jesus, but Father, it's so encouraging to be reminded that even what Jesus said on the cross just shows us once again that you had your plan all together, that with these words were spoken hundreds of years before. God, you never rejected or abandoned or forsook any of us. David could declare that when he wrote these words in Psalms 22, but Jesus for a time was forsaken. God, I'm so grateful that we can stand on the other side of this and we can know that this was temporary. God, we know that when the word says that you have not truly forsaken us forever, nor did you forsake Christ, that that was only for a time so that he could bear our sins. And then, God, you brought him back to life again powerfully. God, we have the same hope as well. Lord, I, my prayer is for those of us who, who, who claim that to live it, for those who do not yet know that to experience that, that hope. Lord, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.